Wow, thank you so much. That was, um, that was incredible. Um, so thank you. Well, I am Brad Owen. I am uh, one of the elders of this church. And part of what the elder gig is, is that uh, we are often called upon to teach. Um, we uh, do that uh, not because uh, uh, Patrick or Ben are in any trouble, <laughs> and not because I got in trouble, <laughs> but you voted me in, you know. It was 51-49, but a win's a win. And of course, as one famous person said, elections have their consequences. So you get me today. Um, it is truly a joy. Um, I uh, wanted to also just say that in preparation for this, uh, I'm really um, amazed at what the pastors here, the teaching elders do. It is truly an amazing thing, but that and all they have to do. So a special thank you to them and everyone else that puts this together. So thank you so much. All right. I'm putting these on? I look, I look studious but young, right? Good. <laughs> all right. So we're going to continue in the passages that we've been doing, the parables, and we're going to continue in the book of Matthew, which is really exciting. And so I got the passage that you're about to read. So let's take a look at the New Testament passage up here. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word again. All right, Presbyterian calisthenics, everybody feeling good? Good, all right. Here we go. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, "Uh, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away uh, from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins will burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. This is the word of God. And um, not that uh, pa- uh, Patrick did um, invent this, but I do say all these words in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in the spirit of Steve Brown as well, when he says, you know, I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where I found some bread. <laughs> all right, so wineskins. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? All right, well, let's take a look at this. We have this uh, lovely graphic here that we have of wineskin. Yeah. So in 2007, uh, there was a, uh, there's a magazine called Wines and Vines. And there, they were really getting into, uh, Stephanie Papadakis decided that she wanted to kind of get into an idea, well, what was this whole putting wine in skins? Because we don't do that. We put them primarily in bottles when we want to do the fermentation process. And so in searching for a person that really had some expertise in this, uh, an analogist named Jeffrey McPherson in Lumberton, North Carolina, had some experience in doing this process of fermenting wine in a wine skin. And so as we take a look up there, that is a collection of skins that is put together such that wine is put in there for the fermentation process. And one of the interesting parts of this uh, article that, was, uh, that I was reading 
is that each one of the, uh, the folks had to actually drink this. So in 2009, he then sends a, a sample of it, and they have these wine experts, you know, those people, you know, in those lovely outfits, and they taste the wine. And they had to taste it out of the skin of an animal. I wish we had some video of that. But <clears throat> so uh, there was some commentary about it. It's certain things like, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. It was okay. I really enjoyed the, the flavors, and they were describing it. And I love the author, uh, Miss Papadakis, described that she said, she said that it had a very ruddy appearance, and it had the faintest taste of blood. And I thought that was very interesting as we dive into this passage today. Because that's what they did with skins. What they did was, um, this was kind of, it wasn't that they didn't put things in, let's say, uh, some sort of ceramic containers, but they also put them in skins. This allowed it to be very portable and allowed it to get out to the common man. In fact, Roman soldiers had these uh, attached to them. The reason is that water itself was not like it is now. There wasn't a lot of Evian and all this kind of water. It, was, it had some, listen, the uh, water had a little bit of, uh, you know, some, some friends in it, sometimes some microbes. Uh, so don't drink the water was a worldwide thing, not just in certain parts of the nation. And so this allowed them to carry something that wouldn't make them sick. And so in this particular process, when they use skins instead of like bottles, what they'll do is they'll pour out the brand new wine and it'll sit outside. They'll crush, 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 crush the grapes. The, the, the new uh, juice of the grapes will sit out for a day or two or three. And then they need to put it in some sort of uh, airtight container. And that's so that it can, it, like, it can sort of slow it down. It can ferment gently and not turn into something awful like vinegary kind of taste. And so they would put it in these skins. Now, the thing about skins themselves is that when the fermentation process happens, there is the release of a gas. Luckily, the gas is CO2. And it it starts to be released inside the wineskin. It goes... And it gets really bigger and bigger and bigger. And the wineskin must expand. It must be flexible during this process. If it doesn't, just like Jesus said. And see, all the people would know it would break and the wine would be lost and it would be a sad thing. So there would be some expansion. Now you can do this for about uh, three go-rounds of new wine, maybe four, and then it gets old. It gets pushes out and it has no more elasticity. Now what's interesting about this particular process is that when you pour the wine in, it takes about mm, three to six months to get to that nice kind of older wine flavor um, and would preserve the liquid within. But after about 12 months, you have to serve it. When the wine goes in the wineskin, it's meant to be served so that it won't spoil. So, there we go. Let's move back a little bit. All right, so what is going on? So Jesus makes this comment about wineskins. And so what's, where, is he getting, where is he coming from in this particular chapter? Well, in chapter 9, and please read it, when, you're, when you go home. But in chapter 9, there's a whole lot of things that happen before he then says, okay, I'm going to talk about this wineskin uh, wine uh, uh, parable. And what he does is the first thing he does in chapter 9, you see, is that he heal, heals a paralytic. person's paralyzed, probably paralyzed for a whole long time, and he is going to heal them. Now, it's not that healing was unique, but this particular healing had some parts to it that those who were looking on had some issues with. One... It's the classic, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, to the religious leaders who heard that, I mean, come on. Could you imagine if Ben came up here 
and said, your sins are forgiven, you would go, what is going on? You would find an elder, and you'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. no, 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 only, only God. Yeah, right, now. So Jesus says that. So either he's unstable, which he's not. Either he's not telling us the truth. He is the truth, walking. Or he's God. But he says something else that is there too. He looks at that man. He says, my son. He calls him my son. That's good news. He, he uses a familial term with this person. So he not only forgives, but he says it like a kind father. He didn't even wait for the person to say, are you my father? He just called him my son. And that's a lot how God works with us. He called you. He called you. And he called you that name, son and daughter, even while you were afflicted. Well, moving along, he then has some static from the guys who are listening. Of course, there's a lot of religious leaders. Uh, and then he's, now, let's, let's, take, let's do a little bit of a tiny little bit about Pharisees and things like that, okay? We just always harp on those folks, and we think such negative things about them. Oh, they're all about the law. Yes, they are. Why? Okay, so turn the clock back. Turn the clock back before you see Matthew, the book of Matthew. Now turn it back. Now between Malachi and Matthew, there's like 400 years of that silence right there? Yeah. Now, sometimes, sometimes they're in captivity. Most of the time they're in captivity or they're exiled or they're in their own country and they're being occupied. And who's going to keep everything straight? Who's going to keep the words of God vile, uh, uh, vital? Keep, keep the words of God and the practices of the Lord and usher in the Savior. And they kept it the best they could. And they kept everything together for these peoples who are mixed among nations. You know, oppress a nation, and you'll keep it really clear. But many times when the Jews were in these places of exile, they would be co-opted into the culture, and it could be lost. They'd marry, and they interact, and they think, oh, Judaism, oh, maybe a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and a little bit of this. And suddenly the line of Christ is, is lost, and that's not good. And so they were faithful. They were trying to keep the laws but the issue was they were going to usher in who? Whom? Oh, wait. I have an English teacher who just rolled over. Sorry about that. <laughs> they were trying to usher in the Savior. Remember John? Remember the, the, the camel hair and out in the wilderness eating bugs? You know what I mean? And he ushers in. He says, he says behold, the Lamb of God. He ushers him in. And um, so that's, they're, they're a faithful group of people. Now, when they heard this, they were upset. I'm not justifying it. I'm just letting you know why. They were a little bit upset about this. Um, and then in that particular passage, he says, and he read their thoughts, and he read their intentions. Wow. That's impressive. And he read what was going on within them. Um, and that's another uh, uh, quality that God has. Now, he does that. He can read ours as well. But he doesn't do that in a spooky, weird NSA way. He does that through the Holy Spirit to awaken us to some things that we need to address, only so that we can worship and enjoy him more. That's the only reason he does stuff like that. It's not to say, gotcha. That's what we do. That's not what he does. And anyway, um, so this was going to be a description of the new process that you saw. Sorry, you don't have to put it up there. Where this whole wineskin issue is, there's going to be this inside cleansing. My son, your sins are forgiven. Then there's going to be some outside changes 
and some action. It's the opposite way of doing things that it was in the past. In the past, you followed the law, you washed, and you cleaned, and you celebrated these certain things, and you washed, and you cleaned the outside, and then it would usher in God. Jesus now on the scene, the bridegroom's here, and he's saying, no, 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 no. Now, I will clean you on the inside, and suddenly, you're going to be motivated to do things that you never thought you could do before. That's very opposite. And it was a surprising message. But did you see Jeremiah? Do you remember we read Jeremiah? Did you hear Jeremiah over here from this lady's lips? It was told about in the Old Testament. This is not particularly, I mean, it's there. People say, well, you know, the New Testament, we get a bit of a break here. Everything gets a little bit soft. No, no, it's one story. It's one story. It's a soft story with some difficult times and some, some discipline and all kinds of things. In the, but it's just, that's how it is now. It was one story, and they were pulling that story forward because now the person that the story was talking about was in the room with them. Same here, too, by the way, in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so um, the people were a little bit afraid, of course, during that healing of the parallel. They were afraid, and they, I love that, they were afraid, and they praised God. You know, I love that crowd. You know, they're like, they're afraid because they're looking at the religious leaders, and they're going, ah! but they praise God like, oh, I think he's here. I think this is him. I think this is him. And that was made not only uh, in their hearts, but, but also um, in the room itself. Um, so move on to uh, the next part. of. So what we makes a comment about the, uh, the wineskins, the paralytic was the first kind of part of that. Uh, next in the verses 9, uh, 9 through 13, he, um, he goes, and then in the next scene, he runs into this guy named Matthew, and he parties with Matthew and the gang, Okay? It's not like cool in the game because Matthew's not cool. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. Do you ever hear that in the Bible? Tax collectors. Is he picking on the people from the IRS? No. This was a little bit, a little bit worse than the IRS. Now, he, remember, he calls Matthew. He says he wants you to follow. So what does Matthew do? Matthew decides to throw a party, right? And you're thinking, well, Matthew, what he'll do is he'll just set up a party and there'll be some nice people there, you know, nice, respectable people buttoned up really nicely, you know, munching on some little Jewish crackers or something, you know. <laughs> Nobody loud. Ooh, shh, Jesus is coming. Ah. Nope, that's not what happened. He invites more tax collectors. It's like a convention of bad, right? <laughs> because why? Here are these Jews. So what the Romans did, the Romans were smart. The Romans were very smart. The way they conquered was not just with the sword. They conquered the culture. And the way they did it is said, hey, you want to practice your Judaism? Do that. As long as, as, long as uh, Caesar's number one. Caesar's the man. Check his face out on the coin. Don't make fun of his nose. Okay? This is who's running the country. You can practice your little religion all you want. And so they were able to like, keep the peace. As long as you made Caesar number one. And as long as you never said he was not God. You're Okay. Well, what they did is then, to co-opt the culture a little bit more, they had some Jews collect the taxes. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. You hire these Jews who are now considered uh, uh, traitors. Traitors not just to a country, traitors to their God because they're collecting the money for the oppressors. So again, the power of the scene is this is not a good group of people. They're not liked. Imagine if we were like under some occupation, you and me, with a country that you didn't like. I can only think of the Nazis. I don't know, how, I don't know of a, we have such peace in this country. But what if we were under oppression and they were taking money from you, 
from the mouths of your children and giving it to the oppressors so they can fuel the oppression? They'd be upset. And that's what was going on. So he calls Matthew out. Now we're having this big tax collector convention. And he goes there. Jesus enters in there. He walks in. Now, he is not condoning sin. He is going there to rescue the sinners. And so, uh, so he goes to this, and what, oh, they do a little reclining. So they do some reclining. Do you ever hear that recline? He reclines with them. Listen, I know the Last Supper, you know that beautiful painting of the Last Supper, and they're in those lovely chairs, you know, oh, and they're in those chairs. Okay, it's a little bit more intimate than that. I'm just saying, okay, they sat around on pillows. This happened to me one time. Uh, my dad was from the Middle East. And so uh, he was teaching these two girls uh, who were in his classes. Uh, these were you know, uh, young, young adults, and they were from, um, they're from Saudi Arabia. So my dad was from Iraq, and a lot of the British were part of his culture. And so he didn't do these earthy things, but they decided to have an earthy celebration with us. And I was a little kid, and they put half of a lamb on a giant platter of rice, hooves, eyeballs, and everything. And I was a little kid. We didn't have none of that, man. Dude, let's remember, British were all about Iraq at the time. So anyway, they come out, and he puts the platter down, and we sat on pillows. I was looking for the chairs, man. There's no chairs, man. You sat on these pillows, and there was a lot of, like, pillow, like, elbowing, and, like, you're amongst others, right? I will say, I will say, I didn't know what to eat. I'd never seen, like, an animal on a plate, you know? And uh, so my dad said, just pick a little bit of this and put it over here because you cannot not eat. You know, so we had sort of a lamb picking. Um, so I made it through that. But the reason I'm telling you that is because when it says that Jesus is reclining with these folks, t- there's like pillows or maybe, and, and they, they leaned against each other. So not only is he having like dinner with these folks, which in that culture means you approve. And again, he's not approving of their sin. He just says, the doctor needs to come to this particular party as well as the Pharisee party. But tonight it's this party, right? And that there is a lot of close touching, leaning, being together and celebrating together in this feast. Okay, so that's going to cause a little bit of a disturbance in the falls. And so Jesus is going to get a rebuke. He's going to get a rebuke here. And so in Matthew 11, so Matthew 11, did we get that one, Russ? Did we? Awesome. (laughs) This is so cool. All right, all right. be, Be serious here. Okay. Matthew 11, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who's to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John's in, John's in, just remember the guy I told you about, behold the Lamb of God, ushering in Jesus? John's in prison, and he hears about Jesus having this particular party. Now, either, either, either Jesus got co-opted, got pulled in by these Roman sympathizer traitors, or else he's doing something new. Or he's doing something really, really new. And John, it, he's questioning him. He was questioned even by his friends, by the religious leaders, because this is really new way to do it. Now, it was foretold, but it's new because the bridegroom's here. The person that we talked about is going to do something amazingly new, and even John uh, was doubting that. Now, uh, 
Now, lest you think, of course, I, I really did want to do one more passage. I know I'm leaning heavily on the Bible. People say, well, he doesn't have a lot of material. But no, because, I, listen, I couldn't help it. I kept finding all these places where this was in the Old Testament, that this was going to happen here hundreds and hundreds of years before that. Something amazing was going on in the Old Testament. It really is. Uh, it's a lot of, I don't want to, some commentator said it was New Testament theology in Old Testament words. Eh, it's kind of one but it was sort of like a timeline. And so here it's, it was here, moved over into here in the person of Jesus. Because uh, in Ezekiel, we have the Ezekiel passage, therefore I say to the house, so we heard the Jeremiah passage, uh, therefore I say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Boy, I bet now you're like, vindication, pressure. But wait, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you I shall be, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. Evidently, both in this passage, in the Old Testament, and right now in this room, what he wants to do is do a heart replacement among the flesh, among the part of you that seems okay and soft and flexible, go into the innermost place of you and replace that with something much more beautiful. And he does that work. He does that work within you. Now, of course, we have that within the Holy Spirit, which will make an appearance a little later in this message, right? Okay, moving on. So the new wine way that happens in there, the least are going to be equal with the most. That's a new concept as well. You see that throughout the parables. That's here. All these folks at this party that he's at, the least, or the people that Mark's despise, are going to be equal with the most in his eyes and in his redemption, redemptive story. Next, verses 14 through 17, before we get to this whole thing about wineskins right here, is uh, feasting versus fasting. Feasting. Okay, so this, this guy, there was commentary about, well, what, you know, we're fasting, and you're feasting with these people. We're doing a fast, and you're feasting. How does that particularly work, Jesus? He was getting some, a little bit of, a uh, little static for that. Well, you know, in the first five books of the uh, Bible, there was a fast that was commanded there, the Day of Atonement. Now, the fasting included lots. It wasn't just about food. And when they talk fasting, check this list out. Okay? No eating. No drinking. No wearing of leather shoes. Flip-flops for everybody. No bathing or washing. No anointing oneself with perfumes or lotions. And no marital relations. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Right? So... When they fasted, it was like a big deal. We were going to fast in order to have focus upon the atonement. Now, subsequent to that, there are other fasts that are commanded within the Old Testament, right? 
And then there were some ones that were added. So there was actually a lot of fasting by the time this came, when Jesus shows up in the scene. There are a lot of fasts. In fact, in fact, in fast, in fact, uh, it's the microphone. Uh, in fact, there was a Monday, Thursday fast. So they had like a weekly fast, and every time there was calamity or oppression or a memory of calamity and oppression. So either we have current calamity oppression, or we have memories of calamity oppression, plus the Day of Atonement, plus some other ones that maybe an individual synagogue would say, we need a fast. There was a lot of fasting. I'm not complaining. I'm not saying they were wrong. But what did Jesus say? Well, what he said was, hey, listen, there'll be time to fast. Oh, there will be when I'm gone. But I'm here. Like, remember all we talked about in the Bible back here and all the, the prophets and the law? I'm here. It's time to feast. I went to a wedding yesterday, and it wasn't because I was doing this. It just sort of happened, right? And um, it was a celebration, and it was feasting. Now, I could have said, and it would have been fine, well, you know, I really don't, I'm not going to be eating any of the, any of the cake. I'll be, uh, I'll be restricting myself today. And the Lord says, restrict thyself at your happy occasion. I mean, come on, man. Now, listen, I know if you have to restrict yourself because of certain dietary things, I get it, I get it, I get it. But El Brado doesn't look like he's missed a meal, does he? <laughs> right? Okay. And so I didn't. You know what I did? I just celebrated with him, and we feasted together. And we feasted on the spirit of what I saw. Because the bride and the bridegroom, I remember when, you know, we all stood up. I mean, it's, it's like a great cloud of witnesses to their wedding, just cheering them on. They got married, yay! And we celebrated with a big feast. It was barbecue, by the way. All right. Um, yeah, and during this particular time, again, the people were getting sort of a, a, a taste of who he was, and they were saying, the man speaks with such authority. Again, they, this man speaks with such authority. The, the subtext underneath that is, I, I think this is the one. I, I think this was, It was being revealed to them within their hearts. This man speaks with authority, the kind of authority that loves us, the kind of authority that I could obey because of what he does inside of me in love. Pretty cool stuff, huh? All right. Uh, Jesus, of course, knew about fasting. He wasn't like saying, hey, you don't need to do this. If you remember, he had a pretty big one uh, early in, the, early in the, his particular ministry where he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. And uh, his fasting, you know, you think fasting will bring you really closer to God. Well, it, it did. It brought him Satan. And then he grabbed onto his father's words in the, in the time where the, 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 I mean, the, the ruler of this earth was tempting him. And he grabbed, hold fast. He didn't grasp some just giant Star Wars-like power. Do you know what he did? You and me, hey, hey, everybody. He just grabbed onto the words of his dad, his father, Father God. In the Old Testament, he just spoke them. He just spoke them. And Satan trembled. And he came up with another way, and he tried again, he tried again, he tried again, and then whoosh, he's gone. Um, it really is pretty powerful stuff. Uh, now, uh, within this particular time where we're talking about wine and we're talking about uh, this, I wanted to do a little bit of a, a, a tiny bit of a rewind to a scene that was pretty important. This in John 2. This is the second chapter of John. Okay. Uh, yeah, we good? We good? I'll just do it. Cool beans. While he's there at the wedding feast. Remember the, way, the wedding feast to Cana? So he goes to the wedding feast. So again, this theme of wine and vine gets all the way through the Bible. In fact, wine and vine is almost in every book of the Bible but Jonah. 
the concept of wine, evidently it's important. It tells a story. And, and in this particular place, it's beginning to tell a more detailed story as we get to the New Testament about Jesus. Now, remember in chapter 2, uh, John, he has this wedding in Cana. It's his first miracle, his first miracle. And um, he was, during that first miracle, he, uh, there was a moment there where he, uh, his mom came to him. They had run out of wine. Now, uh, 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 weddings in that particular day, like our wedding, the wedding yesterday was a day, it was like six months of planning for one day, okay? It was a little different back in that time. It was seven, sometimes 14 days of a wedding. Oy vey. That's a lot, all right? So people would come in from all over, and they would expect to have food and wine, and wine was part of the ritual as we go through the week. And here, oh yeah, so this is the scene. This is a lot of days, Okay? So now there were six stone uh, water jars uh, there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars of water and fill them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Okay, hold that up right there. So right before that, they ran out of wine. So Mother Mary comes and says, his mom, and says, hey, listen. They're running out of wine. This is a big social problem and could stop this thing in its tracks in a way, okay? And you know, remember someone, Jesus then says something to his mom and it seems disrespectful. He says, woman, you know? Now, um, the commentators had mixed feelings about that, you know? And I'm just gonna lean on Keller, Tim Keller, for just a second on this particular one. He wasn't being disrespectful. First of all, he didn't sin. So let's stop there, Okay. Didn't sin. It wasn't disrespectful to his mother. He believes what, and I, I, this, in my spirit, I heard what he said, which was, um, he said, it's not my time, also in that passage to his mom, and he said that he was looking through this wedding, and he saw that he was going to be crushed, and he would have to change this whole system. Not change it, it was foretold, but change it where he's crushed, he's the wine. And he looked towards that day, and it was a pretty powerful thought that he had as he looked through this wedding and saw his crushing, because that was a big thing, very big, that we'll never have to endure, and that he would be the wine. And that's where this particular passage goes. When the master of the feast tasted the, tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, those servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. You know, earlier in that particular passage, it was about cleansing and purification. That was what the water was for. And then we were going to usher in the bridegroom. Think about what happened here. He makes wine. The wine is for the inside. The wine is not for this. You don't wash yourself in wine. That would be kind of stinky okay, and soury in a way. But you, he was going to cleanse the inside. He was going to bring the good stuff on the inside. And that was another image of what was going on in the way. And again, in the new wine way, God resides in and wants to work and reside inside of us uh, for a transformation both inside and outside. Okay. <laughs> Big red clock. I see. All right. <laughs> okay. Hey, so, hey. What are we going to do with all this? What are we going to do with all this? Well, the, um, as, he, as he talks about this now, we, we now fast forward to where he was talking about the wineskin, and he was saying, you know, you can't put 
new wine and old wineskins, because if it starts to give off those gases, it'll just burst. What we need here is new wineskins for the new wine. Hey, everybody. You, me, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, you're the new wineskin. You and me. Not as, we look prettier than the thing I just showed you earlier, right? But not on the inside, we don't. Not me. I don't look prettier than that on the inside. Yet, he created this new wineskin, and he's going to pour that new wine within you. Who's the, what's the new wine? Jesus, over and over, is trying to tell the disciples, especially in John, uh, uh, the end of John, as we get in chapters 14, 15, 16, he's constantly telling them, someone's greater is coming. I know I'm going to go to the cross, and I know I'm the Messiah, but he says, there will be a greater one coming. Now, now think about that. What do you mean? I always get puzzled by that. Greater than you? I thought you're Jesus. Well, then, who's greater, God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit? Hey, man, three and one. I'm not unpacking that mystery here today. That's a mystery revealed by God to me, that it all works. Well, explain it. It all works right now, right? Because in this, the, 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 the Trinitarian nature of God serves each other. They try to outserve each other. You're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. Read in the Bible. Oftentimes, he said the Spirit is the greatest. And then God says, this is my beloved son. And he gives all the keys to the kingdom to Jesus. But yet Jesus is like totally worshiping God. Woo! What if a taste of that in the Holy Spirit, which he said is coming to us, that is within you and me, the new wineskins are formed and he pours the Holy Spirit in. And within that just comes this, um, this feeling, this experience. It's both knowledge and experience where we feel an expansion within us. What if we're growing? What if we're growing in the grace that he's pouring inside of us? What if that's happening? I think it is. I really do. Um, Thomas said in uh, John 14, 5 through 7, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him, the new wine of the Holy Spirit within you. Let's talk about Grace Mills River. So, um, you know, I'm one of your elders. And, uh, you know, the, the, we, we have great spiritual direction from Patrick and Ben, but the elders are responsible together for the spiritual direction of this church. It's, it's, a, it's a group. It's, it's a together. We start by praying. We start by repenting being uh, repenters, okay? But it's, it's what we do together as a team to set this spiritual direction. I just wanted you to know that. And within this Holy Spirit that's informing us, we want to know that we begin to see things growing. We see ministries popping up. We see individuals who for years and years and years were doing one thing, and the Holy Spirit within us as the new wineskin is expanding you, and it's expanding this church. And I pray and pray and pray more that we're expanding it to open our hearts up to each other. I would say, you know, part of this is a message from the Holy Spirit as he, the new wine poured into you is causing this. It's not about uncomfortable. It's about expanding you. And I would encourage you, as I'm encouraged myself, to start as we feel the love and spirit of Christ within us, as he's giving us an indication there's a next thing for us to do in love, to start with our closest relationships first. Start by knocking on the door of your closest relationships, I would suggest. And if you don't feel like it, pray to the Spirit. 
pray to the Spirit. Go back to the source if you don't. But that's some of the reparation that we have. The feeling like, I should call them. I should, I should say, I'm sorry. I should say, come on over. Why? Because if he doesn't, then no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit's expanding within you. You're becoming sweeter. You're becoming better wine on the inside. As much as it hurts, you are. And that's also what we're trying to do here at Grace Mills River, is to see different things, reinstate old ones, but in some way follow the Spirit to expand the words of Jesus throughout this church and throughout our community. We're widening our love. That expansion is the widening of our love for each other and for him. Offering the testimony of this new one. Let people know, man, I'm being stretched. Something's happening within me. He's put some spirit within me and and let people know about that. Um, Share that. Love and pray. (laughs) Love and pray for your enemies foreign and domestic. Pray for the enemies inside your closest relationships and outside in your community, your neighborhood, your work, etc. Um, as part of that expansion. Um, I did want to, um, you know, communion is some of the most powerful ways that this particular message is described. Why do we do communion over and over again? Why do we do that? We do that to remember we do that to remember the pouring in, the, the, the sacrifice of Christ in his body and his blood. And he speaks of that. He speaks of that as a, a testimony of the now and where we will be in the future, that we will remember him now, but someday we will drink, we will, uh, drink together in a large feast to come. And that's why we, uh, we, we gather together and practice that. Uh, also, I wanted to leave you with a couple things from Revelation and then a prayer. So from Revelation, yeah. See, Old Testament talked about it. Then Jesus kind of tells us in this New Testament what's going on as he's here on the earth in bodily form, fully God, fully man, in form, okay? And then as we get towards the end of the story in Revelation, one story, okay? We get to the end. Here's what we're heading towards, Then what I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, that's us, and his bride has made herself ready. How? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angels said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Well, let's pray. Well, Father, Father God, we can even just call you that because of what Jesus did. And through the Holy Spirit, we, um, we heard what you said. I pray um, those words will continue within our hearts. And the spirit within them that's already there will grow. And those who want to have their, themselves renewed will pray. And those who are renewed will expand and grow in grace and in love and in truth. Thank you so much. Whew. It's in Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.